We've been running through Ephesians, and now we come to chapter 5, verses 21 to 33, um, and the section on marriage. So I would like to ask you, would you like a better marriage? Would you um, like to not just have a surviving marriage, but a thriving marriage? Um, If you're single, would you like to know what to look for in a future spouse? Would you like to know what to be like yourself? Um, What the Lord expects of you in marriage? Ephesians 5, 21 to 33 is the longest discussion on marriage in the New Testament. So we're in for a treat. There's a ton of stuff here. In fact, I mean, there's whole books written on chunks of these verses. So I, was, I had a very hard time narrowing down what exactly I wanted to share and what I felt like the Lord wanted to say. And so uh, I'm just going to take this, this time to tell you that um, if you have questions, which I'm sure all of you will, send them in. And we do a podcast um, every Wednesday after called What We Couldn't Say on Sunday, and there's a lot I couldn't say. So if I didn't address something in the text um, and you'd like to know more, give me a question or just tune in to the podcast. There'll be a ton of stuff there. Um, so anyway, just want to say there's a lot here that I couldn't say that I wanted to say so badly, but it would just take too long. So, um, so check out the podcast. The main point of the message is that God has chosen marriage to be a gospel-announcing megaphone. God's chosen marriage to be a picture that announces the gospel. So before we get jump into that, I do have a word for singles because I know what it's like to be in a business meeting where the agenda has nothing to do with me, and it's so easy to just tune out and just say, this isn't for me, so I don't have to really be here. I can think about other things. But I think that the word of God here I just want to remind you that the Word of God is living and active. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. It can cut um, to both marrow and joint, to soul and spirit, and the Word of God has something for you. Even if the text doesn't directly speak to your current situation, it has something for you. And I would ask you to trust in faith that God's Word has something for you. And when I was thinking about it, I have three reasons. for if you're single, why you should tune in and not tune out. The first one is that um, I realize there's a large, <clears throat> a lot of our church is single right now, and so a message like this could come across um, as hurtful or there's wounds that are exposed. But I think that um, even having said that, that you can find help in this text. Um, number one, many of you, Lord willing, will be here one day. And so it's good to know what's expected of you, what's expected of your future spouse. I mean, if you have a test, I remember having tests in school and like the class before me in high school, you know, would would just take the test and you'd go to your buddy and say, okay, what was on the test? You know, because you wanted just that little bit of a leg up in preparedness for the test. I mean, this is the same thing. If you can figure out now, if you can learn what it's like and what what you're expected, you're going to be that much further along when you actually enter into. So that's one. Uh, you're going uh, to be better prepared um, should the Lord grant you marriage one day. Secondly, you're going to understand God's love for you in a deeper way by looking at the picture of marriage. Like I said, it's a gospel-announcing megaphone. So regardless of, of where you're at right now, it should 
point you to Christ. And so you should, you'll, be a better under, you'll be better able to understand God's love for you by looking at marriage than if you didn't look at it. And number three, um, number three, my, the one that I want to tell you the most <laughs> is that there is a, there is a cultural faux pas, if you will, to speak into marriages, to ask anybody really about how their marriage is, unless you're super tight, maybe even in your own family, or maybe in your own family you don't even bring it up because it's like that's their business and you're not supposed to encroach on that. But we have the Word of God, and you can speak into a marriage if you know what the Word of God says. And so I'm pleading with you, hear the Word, know what the Word of God says, and then if you are able, you can speak into marriage. You can help marriages. You can help marriages in this church. I want this church to have open marriages where people know what's going on and people can look into it and say, hey, brother, I saw this about your marriage or, hey, sister, I saw this about your marriage. Let's talk about it. Um, there's, most people don't share, don't say anything until it's way too far gone and the train's already coming off the tracks. And we don't want that. I mean, that, that's what our church is for. It's for us to fight together, to be, you know, side by side. And you can't do that with everybody. I realize that. But the way we've structured, people in your MC, the people in your DNA, those are the most natural relationships that you should be overlapping with, that you know, and you should know how their marriage is doing. You should be able to speak into it. Give encouragement. Um, help a brother in that way. So we need you. We need you to speak. Everyone. We need everyone to speak into marriages to help Let's not let the culture define what is acceptable to talk about and not acceptable to talk about. Let's let the Word of God define that for us. Um, one other thing. There is a Christian, sometimes there is a Christian subculture that says you're not, you're like a, a single as a kind of a second class Christian. Like you're not really there until you're married. And I just want to tell you that that's a lie from Satan. Okay, that's a lie, and it's not true. You're valuable. You're valuable with the gifts that you have. Some are given the gift of marriage. Some are given the gift of singleness. And then sometimes you don't have the gift anymore, or you get a different gift. And what I want to tell you is you're valuable, and we need you. We, everyone here is a sinner saved by grace. And so um, don't listen to the lie that the world is telling or that the devil says. You are not a second-class Christian. You are the same as all of us. We're all brothers and sisters who are broken, who need Jesus. So um, hear that. As we jump in to um, the first section, um, I want to set your um, sights first on verses 31 and 32. So um, as we go, this is what I like to call, these are kind of the a bedrock statement that Paul makes. And the illustration I want to give you is, um, have you ever seen a, a, a movie in 3D? <laughs> or if you're old school, seen a book with 3D glasses on? Um, I saw one recently, and I took the glasses off like during, during the movie just to see what it would look like, and it was super blurry, and I couldn't make out the shapes well enough. These verses act as your 3D goggles. It makes the text clear and sharp. And in the same way in a movie, it makes it amazing. Like, it's just incredible what happens. These verses, I think, is the key to this whole section. 
when we hear um, the, verse, the following verses to wives and the next verses to husbands, if they're grounded in these two verses, then I feel like it, it allows us to see it through a spiritual lens. So let's look at these together. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. So verse 31 is actually quoted from Genesis 2.24, and this is what God is saying is what happens in marriage. You become one flesh. And then verse 32 says this mystery is profound, the mystery of marriage. And that's not, it doesn't mean that it's been hidden, but it's just something that we wouldn't know unless God had revealed it. And now God is revealing it. And he's saying the mystery, I'm saying it's referring to Christ and the church. So marriage, that oneness, is referring to Christ and his church. So the, the idea is that marriage is supposed to look like Christ and the church. It's supposed to be a picture of Christ and the church. You've heard it said that a picture is worth a thousand words. Well, that's why marriage is supposed to be a picture of the gospel. It's supposed to speak something. When you look at a marriage, it says something to you, and it's communicating something about the gospel. And how well we live out our spirit-filled roles in marriage is the size of our megaphone. It's, the size, it's how much we're announcing the gospel to the world. And so I think that um, these verses will help us so much as we, as we look at some of these hard words that we're going to see um, in Ephesians 5. Um, let's see. The, let's, let's, let's jump into verse 22 through 24. So this is a, the section is toward wives, and I'm taking it as the text comes, okay? So as Paul lays it out, I'm laying it out. Um, wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. So this is what I want to say. The summary statement, wives, the gospel is shown in your supernatural submission. The gospel is shown in your supernatural submission. Now, our culture... Even saying the word submission makes me bristle, right? Because that's all we hear from the culture. Submission is oppressive. Submission is evil. Um, here's, here's the way we define it in the, in the dictionary. Yielding, surrendering, obeying, resigning. In a MMA fight, when someone puts someone else in a chokehold and they're about to pass out, they will tap because it's submission. They're tapping out. So if that's the way you see submission is like, hey, we're fighting, we're fighting, and I just can't take it anymore, I'm tapping out, that's how our culture sees it. And that is, that is not the way I want you to see this word, okay? The, the, um, the problem with the culture, hearing the definition of submission from the culture is that it begins to sink into the way we think. So when we, when we first read this verse, it's like, whoa, what is going on here? This cannot possibly be right. And I looked at the Greek, and it wasn't helpful. It says to obey. <laughs> so it, well, there's, there's like no, there's no loophole here. It says, um, wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. But look at what it says. It says, as to the Lord. So, so what it's saying is that your submission is not, is not dependent on your husband. Your submission, as you submit to the Lord, 
so you submit to your husband. Okay, it's, it's um, because of your love for Christ is what drives your motivation to submit to your husband because that's what shows the gospel. And it shows the gospel so much clearer when it's hard. If it's easy, it's not as clear, right? But if it's hard and someone sees you submitting to some sinful man, it's like, that doesn't make sense. That's, that's, there's something different there. There's something that I need to know. And so this is so hard. I understand. This is so hard. Um, it's hard for me to submit to authorities in my life. Um, I can only imagine um, how hard it is to submit to a sinful man who's trying to lead. Um, your submission is not dependent on what your husband does, but on what Christ has done. Because Christ has done it, you can do it. And it takes supernatural power. And guess what? That's what this section is about. We've been talking about Ephesians 5. He says, be filled with the Spirit. When you're filled with the Spirit, you're going to be singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, making music in your heart to the Lord. You're going to submit to one another. And then, here it comes. Here's the verses it's going to describe in detail. Okay, how does this work? How does a Spirit-filled wife love her husband or respect her husband, submit to her husband? How does she do that? What does it look like for a Spirit-filled wife to do that for her husband? And what does it look like for a Spirit-filled husband to love his wife? What does it look like for a Spirit-filled person to be like that? It fleshes this out. Um, Look at verse 24. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. (laughs) So, I think you heard the little phrase, in everything. So, if it wasn't hard enough to submit to a sinful man, you're now called to submit to him in everything. (laughs) So, this is difficult. It takes supernatural, spirit-filled submission to do that. But look at verse 22, because I think this gives you hope. Or, I'm sorry, 23. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. So what Paul's saying is, what he's saying is, as the church submits to Christ, right, Christ is the head. And the husband is the head. So the way that you play out the gospel drama in your marriage is this is the role that you've been given. Okay? The husband is the head and you come under. Just as Christ is the head and the church, we come under. This is your role in marriage. This is, the, this is how you live out the gospel drama. So in other words, it's not about you. It's about Christ. It's not about your marriage. It's about Christ. How is the gospel going to look? How is the gospel going to look? I want to make one statement with regards to that word in everything. Where the Bible expressly forbids something, where the Bible says this is not okay, you don't submit. Okay? Because that doesn't represent, that doesn't match the picture of Christ and his church. Christ doesn't lead his church into sin. And so where the Bible expressly forbids, you don't submit. Um, So, supernatural submission. Um, Submission is not always a bad word. In fact, it can be a very beautiful word. And that's what I want to get across, is that submission is, 
is not a bad word. It can be a very beautiful word because it is actually the means by which you're announcing the gospel. It's the very means by which you are living out your spirit-filled life. Um, I want you to look um, at the very end of the section. Paul gives a summary statement. He says, For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is head of the church. I'm sorry. (laughs) Sorry, rewind that. Strike it. Joel, you got that. Um, The very end says this. However, each one of you also must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. So, you see how he substituted the word submission there for respect. And I think respect is a little bit easier of a word to chew on for us in our culture. I think we, we throw that word around a little bit more. We, kinda, we have categories for what it's like to respect someone. And so, um, I want to read you... Um, Well, before we get there, have you ever heard a wife disrespect her husband? Have you ever heard her talk down to him or belittle him or um, act annoyed at him? It's awful, right? Like, we know internally, like, that that's not right. Like, there's something wrong about that. I mean, can you, can you even imagine the church talking to Jesus that way. Like, it, it doesn't make sense. Um, instead, it says to respect. Um, the, sorry. Listen to First Peter, First Peter 3. This is an amazing verse. This is so clear how a wife's spirit-filled behavior announces the gospel. Listen to this. Wives, in the same way, submit yourselves to your own husbands so that if any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over without words by the behavior of their wives when they see the purity and reverence of your lives. The word reverence is the same word. It's the same Greek word as respect in Ephesians 5. So, as this wife, the promise is, or the the word is, that by your spirit-filled submission to a man that's not even a Christian, that says something to him. That, That announces the gospel to him, and he can get saved. He can get saved by the very act, by your behavior, by your spirit-filledness. But I want to say something else. The gospel is not only our, our key into salvation, but it's also the key for our sanctification. So wife, the way that you behave, the way that you supernaturally submit to your husband is going to speak the gospel to him, and it's going to result in his sanctification. Okay? When, when you act in a way that's in line with the gospel, that's preaching the gospel to him, he's going to look more like Jesus. We, whatever we behold, we become like. And so when, when you're speaking and when you're showing Christ and he sees that, he's going to become like Christ. This is such a great, a rich promise. Um, but it's hard. I understand that it's hard. Um, I want to say that Jesus is your example. 
he, subject, he subjected himself or came under the Father's will. Same word as submit. He came under the Father's will. He didn't consider equality with God something to be grasped. Even though he was fully God in his deity, he was, he was different in his humanity. He was still equal with God, but in his humanity, he took a different role. He came under the Father. He did whatever the Father said. Even when he had to do the hardest thing in the world, he said, Lord, if there's any way that this cup can pass from me, talking about the cross, please let it pass. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. In every respect, Jesus obeyed the Father. He came, he came under him. Jesus is your example. Jesus is who you look to. So take heart. Um, he knows your struggle. He's given you his spirit to be able to supernaturally submit to your husband in good times and in bad times. Um, he's given you himself for it so that you may showcase the glorious gospel in your marriage. That's our word to the wives. Now, um, to the husbands. Let me say, I'm sorry, one, one more thing, wives. <laughs> one more thing. I forgot my application. Um, I'm going to give you one thing. One thing that you can do that is very doable, very practical. Um, hopefully it helps you. <clears throat> A phrase you may have heard before. Um, whatever gets praised gets repeated, and whatever gets criticized gets crushed. Okay, so whatever gets praised gets repeated, and whatever gets criticized gets crushed. So a way that you can respect your husband is when you see him take even one baby step toward leading you spiritually, toward loving you like Christ loved the church, even if it's, if it's wrought with failures, one small step in that direction, recognize it. Tell him that you saw it and that you're thankful for it. Because what gets praised is going to get repeated. As you come under, as you thank him for it and say, you know, um, encourage him in that, he's going to do that more. Because leadership is a skill. You're not born um, leaders. You have to develop into leaders. And so your husband might need to develop a lot. <laughs> so encourage him. Help him on that path. Um, on the flip side, if you criticize, he'll, he could be crushed. And he could react in one of two ways. He could get angry and you know, snap. Or he'll do the opposite and shut down and never want to do that again. And so I would just caution you to look. Be on the lookout for the times when he is trying to lead and, and encourage him in that. Um, one last thing. I want to say about wives and submission because it's such a, big, uh, such a big deal. I want to say that if there's any abuse going on and you feel like there's, I'm not sure what's, you know, if I should submit to this or, I should, or, or what, or I don't want things to get blown up. If you're being abused, please come talk to us. We are here to help you. We want to help um, and that should not happen for any woman. 
Okay, so as we talk about you know submission in everything, I can I feel so heavy, and it feels like um, well anything goes, but that's not true. Okay, if there's abuse going on, please see us. Um, we want to help. Now, okay, now men, <laughs> now husbands, I have a word for you. So the same way that Paul has addressed the wives, and that the way they showcase the gospel, the way they use that megaphone for the gospel is in their supernatural submission. Husbands, the way that you showcase the gospel is in your loving leadership. Let's look at verse 25 together. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. There's the command. Now, verses 26 and 27 is fleshing out how Christ did that. And so I've read these verses a ton, a ton. And I would love to dig in to everything that 26 and 27 has to say, but we don't have the time for that. So here's what I want to say about verses 26 and 27. In summary, this is about what, how Christ loved his church was for her sanctification. Okay? It's so that she would be sanctified. So how do you do that? How can you Love your wife in such a way where she's going to be more sanctified. Or in other words, how is she going to look more like Jesus? How is she going to become more like Jesus? Which sounds a lot like discipleship, right? We're trying to help people on their path to, to be more like Jesus. So men, I want to say that your primary, or husbands, your primary goal in marriage should be to disciple your wife. should be to lead her to the cross. It should be to love her in such a way where she's looking more like Jesus. You need to be that for her. You need to lead her that way. It's loving leadership. It's loving leadership. Um, let's look at verse 28. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no, no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church because we are members of his body. So Paul's giving us um, really uh, a great picture. Because <laughs> he just said, okay, this is how I love the church. I gave myself for her to sanctify her. You do that too. How are you going to do that? The way you're going to do that is by loving her like you love yourself. You're going to do that by loving the way you love yourself. That's how you should love your wife. And then he, he goes on to say that the reason you do that is because she's a member of your body. Like, she actually is a member of your body. Um, because, remember, this is a picture of Christ and the church, and the church is now a member of Christ's body, and that's what he does for the church. Christ nourishes and cherishes his body, the church. In the same way that, that we are now members of Christ, and a husband and wife are now members one of another. So that's why verse 31 says, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. They are the same body. He's just repeating exactly what he's saying Christ is doing. Christ loves, nourishes, and cherishes his body. Husbands, now that you're married, you need to nourish and cherish your body, which includes your wife. And so I want to zero in on uh, verse 29. Because how, do we, how does he do that? He nourishes and cherishes his, the church. And I want to ask you, I want to zero on, how does a, a, 
a loving, spirit-filled husband lovingly lead his wife, he nourishes and cherishes her. Nourish. I'm going to take it one at a time. So nourish. Um, what do you think of when, when you hear nourish? You think of feeding, um, getting something to flourish. And so I was thinking of a flower, right? And your, your wife is a flower. And do you know how much water the flower needs? Do you know how much sun it needs? Or maybe it doesn't need sun. Maybe it needs to be pruned. Maybe it needs to be repotted. Do you know what needs your wife has? Do you know what she needs to progress uh, in her sanctification? How would you nourish that? Is my wife walking closer with Jesus because of me? Does she need more prayer? Do you pray with her? Does she, is she overwhelmed by work? Can you speak an encouraging word to her? Does she struggle with finding time to read the Bible? Can you cut out of your day and give her the time? Where does she need to thrive? And so my encouragement to you is how, to nourish your wife, you need to know her and know how can I, at any cost, because it costs Jesus' life, at any cost to me, how can I help her toward Jesus? What would be the best way for her to grow spiritually? Now, I want to address one, uh, a wrong way to understand leadership because our culture understands leadership as being the boss and telling others what to do. <clears throat> and I think that, unfortunately, that creeps into families and even Christian families. Um, have you ever seen a husband uh, who is a leader, for sure, but his wife and his children are withering? That is the opposite of flourishing. That is the opposite of nourishing. A husband should never um, lead at the cost of his family, his wife and kids, but to the benefit of his wife and his kids. To nourish. The Greek word means to effectively nourish, <coughs> nurture. Um, effectively nourish. What is it that would most help your wife right now? And if you don't know, you've got to figure it out. <laughs> There's no shortcut. You've got to figure it out. You've got to talk to your wife. You have to ask her questions. You have to know her. Okay. There's one more word, and that's cherish. How do you cherish your wife? I found this fascinating. The Greek word literally means to keep warm. And the only other time it's used in the Bible is 1 Thessalonians 2.7, where Paul says that he tenderly cared for the church as a mother cherish, cherishes her children. So it, our wives need to feel wrapped in our love. They need to feel the warmth of a heart that beats only for them. Isaiah 62.5 says, As the bridegroom rejoices over the bride, so shall your God rejoice over you. So men, when people look at your marriage, do they have a picture of that's how God rejoices over his bride? That's how God rejoices over his bride? Because that's what we're called to. We're called to love our wives like that. Where it's going to be a picture of how God rejoices over his bride.
I want to give you one way that you could start. Remember, I encourage the wives to look for praiseworthy things in you as you lead. In the same way, I want to encourage you to look for ways to compliment your wife, to build her up, to make her feel like she is cherished above all others. I want you to try. It's, it's, it's just being aware, really. It's being aware of, is this something, is there something that I can pick out and compliment her for, whether it's in private or in front of others. And when you, do, when you compliment your wife in front of others, you're showing others what, what it's like for, the, for God to love his bridegroom. Um, I love it. Whenever I hear men um, co- like just praising their wives, giving you know, just uh, compliments to the wife, it says something. Like your heart rejoices at that because that's it. That's the picture. That's the picture of a God who loves his bride, who wants to be with her. Um, I wish that all of our marriages would loudly proclaim how God loves his bride and how his bride loves him right back. And that's what marriage is. That's the picture that we're, that we're showing. Um, now, <clears throat> I want to I say one thing about a lie that I think is, um, that I just want to dispel. I want to say that there are um, some people who have been either so hurt in marriage or who have just been untaught, but they think that it's okay for my wife to have her own spiritual life and for me to have my own spiritual life. Because I've tried and we just don't really connect that way. And so I'll let her flourish on her own and I'll flourish on my own. That's, that's a lie. That is not the picture of Christ going after his bride. That is not the picture of what it looks like to lovingly lead your wife. <clears throat> and so, whether you have um, been criticized in the past and you feel shame, whether you failed a hundred times, I want to say, get back up. Because it's not just about you. It's about marriage. It's about Christ and his church. It's a picture of something bigger than just you. And this is what you're called to. And God gives you power. He gives you his spirit in order to keep going back, to keep coming back to a sinful woman and trying to lead her toward Christ. He gives you that power if you will walk in it. Um, Remember, um, one other thing. Do you think, we're going to read this. Note to self, do not... Wipe your nose and nose. Are... All right. Good, okay. Sorry, guys. <laughs> the, in chapter 6, as we look, um, so Paul in chapter 5 is saying, this is what it looks like to be filled with the Spirit. And then he gets into the nitty-gritty and says, this is what it's going to look like for husbands' wives, for parents and children, for servants and masters. And then chapter six is, so put on the full armor of God so that you can extinguish the arrows of the devil. Do you think that the devil doesn't want to ruin your marriage? Do you think that's out of the realm of possibility? 
It is absolutely, not, not only is it in the realm of possibility, it is happening. And the verse in chapter 15, chapter 15, verse 15 of Ephesians 5 says, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. Don't be foolish, but know that the devil does not want your marriage to work. He wants you to fail because marriage is a picture of the gospel and Satan does not want the gospel to be proclaimed. And so if you've ever had a hard time in your marriage, if you've ever felt like, man, this is just so hard, there is a, a truth that, that, that because there's two sinners living together, trying to, to be together, but there's another truth. That there are spiritual forces at work who are against your marriage, who are against you. Even in the time that I've spent preparing for this message, I've felt more attacked. And I don't come from a background where that's really talked about very much. But everybody kind of has a, a rhythm of being off, um, you know, in marriage. And it just felt like Kate and I were off way more often than we, than we normally were. And I'm, I'm in the text and I'm like, Lord, what is going on? And I'm like, well, there you go. There's other things at work here. There are, there are principalities and powers that are at work against your marriage. And so if things are hard, know that this isn't all we see. This is not all we see. There are things going on in the spiritual realm that's happening right now. And we need to be wise and know that that stuff is happening and pray to the Lord against it, to pray to have the, to have the Spirit to fight through it because you will not be able to stand if you are not filled with the Spirit, right? Um, so what did I do when I felt bugged at Kate this week? I went right to this word. It was so helpful to me. And I would say, Lord, help me to see my own sin. Help me to love my wife like you love the church. Help me to lay down anything in my life for her. Lord, help me. Help me, Jesus, to be like this. Just keep preaching that to yourself. Keep preaching that to yourself. That this is what I'm called to, Lord. This is what I'm called to for your glory. Not for my glory, for your glory. And the Lord was faithful. He was faithful to answer that prayer. Um, so, in summary, the, the uh, marriage, the spirit-filled roles in marriage are a picture of the gospel. They're a megaphone that announces that the gospel is beautiful and sweet. Supernatural submission, loving leadership, the way that you work together, it's amazing. Have you ever seen um, like amazing, uh, an amazing dance, right? There's someone who's called to lead and someone who's called to follow. And when they know their roles really well, it looks amazing. It's beautiful to behold. Marriage is like that. It's like a dance. You know your role, your spouse knows their role, and you're dancing. And it's beautiful, and people see it, and it announces the gospel. Um, I want to say that maybe you feel like, man, I hear you say supernatural submission, and I feel just like, super bad because I'm not like that 
Or maybe you're a husband, you say, loving leadership, I never lead my wife. I mean, I'm just terrible at this. That is the devil speaking lies to you. The devil wants to condemn you. He wants to tell you that you're no good and that you should give up and that you shouldn't keep trying. So fight against that. It says, don't let bitterness rule in your heart. Don't give the devil a foothold. Resist him and he will flee from you. So I would say to you, if you feel shame, guess what? We have a savior who lifts that shame. He lifts it off of you, puts it on himself on the cross, and he dies for it. No matter if for the hundredth, the thousandth time you failed, Christ is always there to forgive. He's always there. For the wives who've been crushed by their husbands, Christ is always there. And he will never crush you because he was crushed for you. He takes your crushing. So I would say, Look to Jesus because he loves you so much. Look to Jesus as your example. Look to the gospel as your sweet treasure and uh, be filled with the Spirit that you might live out these roles in a beautiful dance with your partner. Let's pray. Lord, I want so badly for my brothers and sisters to be filled with the Spirit, to announce the gospel, not just for your glory, but for their good. And I want marriages to thrive in this church. And I want to be uh, men and women who walk alongside each other and who fight for each other's marriages, who know intimately about one another. Or would you make that true of us? Would you make us so sure of our identity, so uh, resting in your love that nothing can shake us? The devil has no power over us. Those lies would just be dispelled because we know the truth. The truth is you've set us free. You've called us to this. And what you've called us to, you will empower us to do. So Jesus, in your name, we thank you and we praise you. Amen.